Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river and really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. And the joy that we get to go through God's word and in God's providence and in his care, he's given us a text so appropriate. And maybe this sermon this morning isn't so much for you as it is for me. Let's pray. God, we give you praise for you. You are good to us in the midst of difficult circumstances. You remind us there's hope. And as we hear from Paul in Romans, that hope is something that gives us strength and reminds us of your spirit's presence. We pray your encouragement upon us. We pray your life into our hearts. We pray your strength in the midst of sufferings. We pray Lord, that we might praise you in the joy we know. Father, we are grateful for who you are because it's what we need. So many times, Lord, we don't even know what we need, but you do. And in your wisdom and your power and your grace and your love for us, you provide it. Father, uh, may your word transform our hearts this morning. Give us comfort, give us life, give us hope, give us peace. May it also equip us to go from this place sharing your word, your hope, and your love with the world. We pray this in Christ. Amen. From Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18, Paul writes this to the Roman Christians and to us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he searches our hearts. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever been in a position in your life, somehow, somewhere, some way, uh, you know the grace of Jesus Christ, you know the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, but have you ever thought, oh no, it's not going to happen that way. I'm not, lack of a better term, going to heaven. I'm not loved by God through his grace. Like, I've lost it. Maybe it's through some sort of sin or behavior or some sort of experience that made you think, I'm not in. Has anyone ever had that? I've had that. Mine's sort of goofy and funny, but but I think it indicates a little bit of how we can feel in those moments. Uh, I was 15 years old, and when I was 15 years old, I was living in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, and we lived at 27 Homewood Avenue. It says Homeward on there, but it's Homewood Avenue. And my brother was in one school, my sister was in another school, and I was in another school. Both my parents worked, so our lives were all over the place. I, I apparently learned that skill from an early age uh, and continue to live in that sometimes. But there are lots going on, lots of activities, and on that, it was, it was the winter, so I was playing basketball on the school team, and I had had practice, so I didn't get home until 5 o'clock. And I came home, and if anyone's ever had this, you're locked out of your house. And you're thinking, how do I get into my house? And I had broken into my house before because I'd forgot my key. Um, But uh, when I broke into my house, the breaking was the issue that my dad got really upset with. So I didn't break into the house on that particular night because I would have gotten in trouble because I would have broke a window or a door or something like that. Uh, So I figured, okay, I'll just wait outside for someone to come home because no one was home. And I'll wait on my front porch. Now, this is in uh, the winter in Canada. And so it was cold outside, but it wasn't unbearable. Uh, I figure, oh, I'll just wait a short period of time, and then everyone will come home, and, and it'll be fine. I'll get in my house. Uh, and it's 5 o'clock, and then it gets to be 6 o'clock, and no one's home. And I'm sitting on my porch waiting in the cold for someone to come home. And it's coming on 7 o'clock. And of course, I'm thinking in my mind, what happened? Where are they? Why aren't they coming home? And I make a completely appropriate leap of logic. Jesus has come to take his own back to himself. He took mom, dad, Jonathan, and Sarah, and the Christians across the street whose house is dark, and I'm still here. Oh, no. That's the leap that I made in my mind. Because all my unchristian, and we knew they were unchristian, those folks, they're home, those folks are home, those, our house, dark and empty, and the Christians across the street, dark and empty, Jesus is taking the Christians home, I'm still here, oh man, and I'm like going through the litany of sins, 
Jesus, I confess this. Jesus, I confess that. Everything I've ever done. I know I'm late, but please, hopefully there's a caboose I can jump on on the way to heaven. And I remember just being like, that ache in your gut that just consumes you. Because I wasn't going to be in heaven. I was never going to see my parents. I was going to, and I was going to get introduced to Satan, which I really wasn't excited about. Just that whole thing just put this huge, consume my gut. I just, ah. And then, of course, my dad's car turned the corner and pulled into the driveway. And I was like, oh, good. And I just remember, like, hugging him. And my, my, my older brother was like, get away from me. And my little sister was like, you're weird. And, but I, I, hey, I might still get in. It's awesome. It's great. But it's for that moment, you lose hope. It's just like, ah. Paul's speaking to that because it's such an important thing. For us as followers of Jesus Christ to have. Because he makes it clear in this text, life is hard. The world we live in has some difficulties. It, creation itself is groaning. There is hardship. God promises suffering. I mean, there's, there's, there's some grim reports here. And if we don't have something, if there's not a way to journey through that, we're in trouble. And right from the beginning, in, in the first section, he talks about the groaning of creation, verses 18 through 21. And if you read that, you hear about creation waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be a part of the redemption of all creation. And this is actually important because it's a specific statement that Paul is making against the culture of Rome and its message for the Roman Christians in the Roman church. See, the Roman Empire, the Roman government, Caesar himself, wanted to communicate to the empire that if Caesar is, if this Caesar, and Augustus Caesar was really the golden age, or thought to be the golden age of the Roman Empire, if Augustus is on the throne, not only will he bring peace and expansion of the empire, not only will you have money and wealth and comfort, but he himself will be a part of restoring and redeeming all of nature and all of the things that you see when you go out in the forests and fields. In fact, he had statues made. There's one statue in particular that with Augustus on top of the statue, the base was carved with all these reliefs of now there was going to be Vines so with grapes so large that they, they stood next to a man. And that there were going to be trees that were, were so huge and filled with fruit, the likes of which had never been seen. That now there was going to be peace among all the animals. And literally there's a lion with a lamb. The images that we also see in scripture. And the idea that Augustus wanted to get across is support me. Listen to me, because I won't only give you wealth, comfort, but I will also be a part of restoring nature. And Paul says, wait a minute. Romans, you need to know the truth. Creation is cursed. It's broken. It's a part of the curse of Genesis chapter 3. You can go back. The ground will be cursed because of you and your sin, Adam and Eve. 
And because of that curse, there is still messiness in creation. Thorns still grow. Lions still eat meat and other animals. There is still tornadoes, earthquakes. And Paul is saying there's only one way that that gets impacted truly, and that is through the children of God reflecting the glory of God to all of creation. What he's saying is that no earthly power or authority can redeem creation from its fallen cursed state. Only children of God transformed by the Spirit can restore creation as it was intended. That's the, the kingdom of God stuff. As you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, become more deeply attuned with what God intends for this world, then in some ways we start to think environmentally. Now, I'm not calling you to be environmentalists because I know as soon as I say that, some of you, you're get, you, you, I mean, you're already, your hackles are up. I, I can understand that. I'm not calling us to be tree huggers and certainly not worshipers of creation because that would be a form of idolatry. But what I am saying to us is that we are called to be stewards of all of creation. Stewardship, creation care, for us to think and consider Things like what sort of car we drive and how we drive it. How much energy we consume. The sorts of resources that we use in our lives, in our homes. The sorts of things that we tell our children about how they can participate in creation. How we, uh, maybe we are called to be on the forefront of creating national monuments and, and um you know, conservancy areas so that creation itself can have beauty retained within it. I think that that is certainly a healthy call because as we engage in that work, we see creation as what it is, a gift from God that is to be stewardly cared for, for both future generations, but also out of obedience to God. And that's truly the way the earth is transformed because those who worship nature in and of itself condemn it. Because they don't use creation for what it is called for. Again, in Genesis, we hear, fill the earth and subdue it. So creation is something that also serves us. We don't worship it. That's one of the callings here of this text, but it's certainly not the only calling. And we need to understand that that transformation of creation, it comes through God's glory showing out in us. As we truly understand who Christ is in us and what he has done and how he has restored us, we want to see that restoration around us. We want to see it in others' lives. We want to see it in the creation that we are a part of. We want to see that glory shine brighter. And that word glory, doxa, is a powerful word. It's a huge word. It's a big word. It's the glory of God in the Old Testament tabernacle when the fire would descend, the cloud of fire at night, and the cloud during the day. It's the glory of God that was so big that Moses couldn't see it face to face. The only way he could see God's glory is from the back as God walked past the crack in the rock where Moses was hid. The glory of God that is revealed in us that changes creation, changes the world around us is so big and so powerful 
We can't even imagine it. And what's interesting is that Paul is saying that the strugglings and the sufferings of this world, they don't hold a candle to it. What does it say in verse 18? Not worth comparing that the glory of God will be revealed. And again, Paul is speaking against Rome here because you can imagine Rome thinks it's pretty powerful, and it is. It's the most powerful empire the world has known to that time. And others since then and before then thought it too. And we can see that sort of reflected in some of the movies that we see. Think of the scenes in some of the movies. Gladiator, when Caesar comes in, the powers of his kingdom are arrayed before him. Troops and chariots and horses. Or actually there's one in Star Wars too, right at the end of the movie. And you see all the people, the main characters are on the front stage. And there's all these rows of stormtroopers behind. And it's all this power of the kingdom. Lord of the Rings is the same thing. Ben-Hur is the same thing. We even see some of it in contemporary fashion. Do you remember those parades in Red Square with the missile launchers and the tanks going past? They still have some of those now even in South Korea. That's a kingdom saying, I am powerful. I am great. We are so powerful. You cannot stand against us. And what does the word say? It's not even comparing to the glory of God revealed. The power of South Korea, North Korea, sorry. The power of the United States. The glory of God can wipe it away in a moment. That's the glory that is revealed in us. Huge, powerful, vast, enormous. And that's the glory of God that is present with us as Paul continues to move through this passage. Because there's some important stuff he wants us to hear, especially when it comes to understanding suffering and groaning. Verse 22 through 25. This is an already but not yet passage. What Paul is saying is that someday... Someday God's glory will be revealed in its fullness and wipe away pain and sin and struggle and burden and and sickness. But right now you're still going to have those things. And you need to understand that those things are coming. That you are going to get punched in the gut a couple times. Maybe a lot of times. It's going to hurt. But we're not alone in it. He's describing the already but not yet state that we live in as we anticipate God's eternal kingdom while still suffering through the struggles and pains of this world. We still have children's hospitals. We still hear the word cancer regularly. There are still mortuaries. There is still strife in Africa AIDS is still a very real disease. We still have children who walk away from God. We still have to go to the doctor and get diagnoses that change our lives. That's the world that we live in now. Someday, someday it's all different. But right now, right now some of us can't even breathe. Right now there's some of us who can't even understand how we're going to make it through today we don't know super bowl schmooper bowl who cares i'm hurting so bad i'm dealing with so much i'm dealing with stuff that stops me from even cheering at a nice touchdown i can't even raise my hands 
And creation longs to be restored. We long to be restored. And we should be longing for it. The longer we live, the more pain, struggle, and brokenness that we see. And I don't know about you, but there's sometimes that I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come now, because I don't see a way out of this thing. I don't see a way for this to get fixed. I don't see a way for this to be redeemed. And I just long, Jesus, come. I know, I know it means the Super Bowl isn't on this afternoon, but I would love for you to come and just end a lot of the pain that people know, end a lot of the pain that I know, end a lot of the pain that the world knows. Then Paul gives us this incredible word. It's an incredible word. Elpis in Greek. It's hope. It's hope. And hope is a sustaining power that Paul knows that we need, that God knows that we need. We need hope. Because if we don't have it, that suffering consumes us. That pain, that struggle, that burden, that mourning, that sickness, that loss, that addiction, that sin, it consumes us unless we have some sort of hope. Hope not just for the eternal future that we know in Jesus Christ, but also for the present, that God hasn't left us, that God is present with us, that God will, God will provide a way for the ache to go away. For the fear and doubt to be overcome, that someday there might be a day that we open up our eyes and truly the sun shines and we feel it. We need that. I was thinking about how to share this with you. Uh, I have a friend, dear friend, John Burden is his name. He's a pastor in West Michigan. May God have mercy on his very soul. And... um, he and his wife, Jillian, went through seminary with them. Wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, but they went through the, uh, the tremendous challenge, difficult challenge. And those of you who've gone through it, you know what, it, know what I'm talking about. The huge challenge of infer- infertility. Uh, Jillian uh, was not going to be able to have children biologically together with John. She actually has an incredible blog. I encourage you, if you're walking through that journey or you know somebody who does, it's called Adding a burden, B-U-R-D-E-N, adding a burden. And it's a wonderful blog that you can find um, that it has a lot of wonderful truth to speak. And because of this journey that they were walking through, they uh, really decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to adopt. And so they decided to adopt a Russian child. And if anyone of you or people that you know have gone through adoption, you know it's a long red tape process. It's a big deal. It takes a long time. I think it took them about two years to walk through the process in order to become parents for Ari. And John and I would be on the phone with each other at different times during that process and check in on how it's going and ask him what was going on. And then um, I remember at one point, John was sharing with me, it was about a year and three quarters in, something like that. I don't remember exactly. But it was, uh, they, weren't, they didn't yet have Ari home. But um, what had happened is they'd had enough paperwork done that they had claim. They were, in essence, parents of Ari, but because he was in Russia, they couldn't yet bring him home because the red tape had to be finished. They could make decisions for him legally, 
make some health decisions, some things that could and could not happen with Ari. The, the, the orphanage was dependent upon them to ask them for permission. So they were legally parents, but Ari wasn't yet home already, but not yet. In many ways, that's our experience in our walk with God in this world. We are sons and daughters of God. He has claim upon us. He shows his love to us as John and Jillian showed love to Ari, sending him packages and pictures and writing notes and encouragements of love, how much we long for you to be home with us. And yet, we're not home. We don't know the full experience of being with God in his presence. We long for that, hope for that. Lord, take us home. But right now, we have to know how to live in this. <laughs> and Paul gives us a glimpse of what our dad does for us in the meantime. Verses 26 and 27. Beautifully. Paul reminds us that hope gives us the Spirit's power to sustain us in the presence, present too. Look at how it's said. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I don't know about you, but I need those verses because I've been in those places. Have you ever know, not known, what, what do I pray for here, God? I don't even know what to say. I'm so angry. I'm so hurt. I'm so broken. I'm so confused. I don't even know what to pray for. That's a prayer. Because I've heard it. I've heard it in the past couple weeks. I heard it on Tuesday or Thursday when I talked to Tom. I remember him sighing during our conversation. Just because I hurt. I hurt what they're going through. Spirit's presence. I heard it. UCLA Hospital. Sarah. Weeping on Angel's bed. Oh. Hear it in Sandy's groans of pain. Those are prayers that go before the throne of grace in powerful, powerful, powerful ways because we don't know what to pray for in those moments. But God knows what we need. We need his love. We need his presence. And he is there for us even when we don't know what to say. In John 14, Jesus makes a promise to the disciples. And if you remember, he promises that he will not leave them alone. He says, I will send another, a, what is, this, what is the word? A 
comforter to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit's presence to us is promised as a comforter, one who gives us what we need when the pain is too great, when the hurt consumes, when the doubt consumes. God's promise to us is you're not alone. The comforter is real and present. And the comforter intercedes on your behalf, brings your prayers to me when you don't know what words to bring. And then we get one of those verses that I get frustrated in their use. Verse 28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, been called according to his purpose. It's one of the most misused texts in all of scripture, and here's why. Because when we say that to somebody who is in pain, what are we saying? We're saying, oh, no, you're in pain. It's a good thing, though. It's a good thing. God, God is good. And God's going to turn this for good. And that may certainly be true. It may be one of those things that that promise a year later, two years later, ten years later, may resonate with us and we understand finally why this happened. Or maybe we won't ever. That we just have to trust that this is a plan and a purpose. A good thing that God is at work doing in our lives. But right now, I hurt. Right now, I'm in pain. Right now, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm consumed by all that don't you tell me that this is good people please don't write this in condolence cards please i just ask we know it's true it's a great promise of god it's a reminder that there is a plan and a purpose for all things but don't write it in condolence cards pray instead for god's presence this promise is a promise that comes out of pain, trial, and suffering. We live in and know this truth, but it can feel as if belittles our hurts if offered in times of active pain. We love better by knowing this truth, but speaking words of God's presence in pain. I want people to not know that this is some good thing that God is working out in their life, but that God has not left them. I need to know that for myself, that God doesn't belittle my pain, saying, I'm going to turn this for good. It hurts, God. I just want to know that you're with me. And he is, always. We can know that God's work in our suffering, it takes time. What do we see? What's the word we see there? We see conformed. Conforming takes time. Ask any sculptor who started with a block of marble stone, or any other sort of medium, or better yet, yard work. You want to make a yard at your house. You want to improve your yard. You want this bush, bush to grow there. You want your new lawn to grow here. You want this tree to grow up there. And you stand at the back of your patio, and you look at your backyard, and you say, conform to my will. And it instantly happens, right? Of course. Months. Years, decades. I have palm trees in my backyard that, doggone it, they need to get bigger. And they're just not doing it fast enough for me. They're not conforming yet. 
Because being conformed takes time. And it means that in suffering, in pain, it's a journey. A journey of being conformed within God's presence and as His Spirit is present with us, working to conform us to the will of God so that goodness may come in time. But it's in time. May not be right now. Often I've, I've called problems decade-long problems. Really, it will take a decade to work through. And God will meet us in that decade of work. God will meet us in that decade of conforming. He will comfort us. He will give us what we stand in need. But in really to come to sort of a fullness of healing and redemption with some things, it's going to take that long. Maybe even longer sometimes. God's conforming us into who he is, this justifying and then glorifying at the end of the text takes time. So what? Well, as we grow in Christ-likeness, we are a part of God's redemption of the curse. This is the stewardship component that we're thinking about. How are we allowing God to grow in us so we are a part of redeeming the creation around us? Seeing the world return even in a slice or in a spot or in a place to the will that God had for it at the beginning. But that kingdom we do know is in process. It's going to take time. We know it will come in its fullness, but we only presently get a glimpse because we live in an already but not yet world. We still live in a world that is broken, where sin is alive, where the curse is alive. But we know someday that's going to change because we hope, despite our suffering, knowing that Spirit's presence, and we know God's future promise, a promise that one day I will wipe away every tear from your eye. One day you will be in a space and in a place where I turn children's hospitals into places where my people live where I call you, call us all to live in union, harmony, love, peace, joy, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. All the beautiful fruits of the Spirit will be in their fullness. That will come someday, and that's our hope. That hope that fuels us, that even though today is dark, there is a slice of light. It's a little bit, but I can move towards it, trusting that in my groaning God the Father hears my heart and gives me what I stand in need of. This past Tuesday, the final January series here at the river that we hosted in the morning was a professor from Whitworth College. And this guy had an incredible story. He himself had gone through a journey of great suffering 20 plus years ago. His wife, he and his wife and their family were driving in a car or in a van and um, his mom and his wife and two of their children were killed in an accident with the drunk driver. Children were young. In fact, one was a, a baby still in diapers and that baby needed to be in a body cast for a long time. I mean, this is one of those stories of suffering that you're just, whoa, that's heavy duty stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's maybe two decades worth of process and pain and struggle for this guy. 
And obviously he was much removed from that initial pain of that experience, but he had much to say about suffering. And one of the things that he said is that it's important for us to hear what we would call bad things or good things, what we would claim to be evil and this good, that sometimes those things are indifferent. They're not good or evil. They are as we only choose to perceive them. And in order to highlight that, he called us to be ambidextrous Christians. What he meant by that was if something is good, something is evil, as you might perceive it, you can grab hold of it with either hand and bring it into yourself and say, this is a place where God is present. This is a place, if it's a good thing, I graduated, I'm, I'm engaged, or I'm having a child, or whatever, it's a good thing that we understand that this is also a place where we may experience challenge and burden, maybe even pain, that we don't hold on to it simply as a good. If it changes, then suddenly we've lost goodness or something, a diagnosis, a broken relationship, a loss of something, that we are able to grab onto it with a hand, bring it into our heart and our life and say, this is a place where God will show me his presence, his love. God may redeem something through this. As I perceive, I'm ambidextrous. And I see all things as places where God can be present, where God can show me his love. And in fact, sometimes God shows me his love more deeply, more powerfully through this hand, through the pain, through the burden, through the struggle. If I can perceive that, if I can understand that, if I pray for that, then God in his will might actually show me People of the river, still working that out for myself. Still feel that ache and that burden when the news comes. There's some prayer chains that I hate writing. Some aches that just don't go away. But I know, for us to know, there's hope because the future is sure. And there's hope because the comforter is real. And there's hope because no matter what my circumstances, I know the love of God in Jesus Christ is present, even listening to my groans, taking that before the Father that he might hear and show me his love, his power, and his presence. Let's pray. Father, show us that presence. And yes, Lord, may we live in the picture that there is a future and that future is a future of goodness and joy in life. But also, Lord, meet us in the present. Listen to our groans. Listen to our sighs. Listen to our hearts that you might intercede and give us what it is that we stand in need of. Father, we, we know that it comes all from your love for us. You want us to be drawn closer to you. We pray that in being drawn closer, Lord, that you strengthen us for the journey in this already world. And may we look forward to the not yet 
that we will experience with you for all eternity. We pray these things in Christ. Amen.